Very good to see all of you here today. Therefore, that's referring back to what it's just talked about, which we spoke about last Sunday. Therefore, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And so that summarizes what chapter 4 said, and in fact the whole book. One thing Paul wants to get across very strongly is that we're saved by faith and faith only. It's not a matter of circumcision. It's not a matter of keeping the Mosaic law, which we can never fully do anyway. It's a matter of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that and nothing else. We're not saved by our own good works. We're not saved by the good things we do. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're not saved by circumcision. We're saved solely and only by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He died on the cross for our sins, and that takes care of it all. And so it's by faith, not by works. It's by grace. It's a gift of God, not something we deserve. So the word therefore in chapter 5, verse 1, refers to these great truths, especially going back to chapter Four and the preceding part of the book. So he says, therefore, stand fast in that liberty. We are freed in Christ. We are emancipated. The Emancipation Proclamation has been issued, <laughs> and the book of Galatians especially deals with that. It goes on along this very same line, this major theme Behold, I, Paul, tell you that if you be circumcised, meaning, of course, that you're doing it to be saved, if you do that, Christ shall profit you nothing. <laughs> That's quite a statement, isn't it? And then he goes on and amplifies it. Because I testify again to everyone who is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Okay, if you think that is necessary, then you really got to do the whole thing. And we've seen many times that we can't do that. It shows us all to need salvation and forgiveness. Christ has become of no effect to you, whoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. <laughs> now notice how that term is given us here, fallen from grace. Perhaps you're familiar with that phrase. And normally when you think of fallen from grace, you think of people say that it had been a problem with drinking and, and they stopped uh, drinking and then they started again and drunkenness became again a problem to them. That and many other things you could come up with. Former behaviors gone back into. Usually we think of the term fallen in grace referring to that kind of uh, thing. But actually, the way it fits in the context here, it's talking about this whole issue of the book of Galatians, uh, 
about fallen from grace in that now you're depending on circumcision and keeping the law or your own good works. Put it in context, that's actually what it's saying. Though the other, I suppose, could be true as well as it's usually thought. And next Sunday, many, many bad things are pointed out. We might call them fruits of the flesh. And those are things, of course, we as Christians and others should avoid. So anyway, it speaks about fallen from grace in that you fall back into thinking you can save yourself by doing the law and so forth. It isn't that way. For we, verse 5, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has many appearances in the book of Galatians. In fact, next Sunday, I want to really emphasize what is true about the Holy Spirit. But here he says, we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So there, in contrast to circumcision and keeping the law and so on, he highlights the importance of faith, trusting Jesus. He died for us. He rose from the dead. He's the lion. He's the lamb. And that was beautiful, the way it showed the lion and the lamb there, along with those wonderful and true words. Righteousness by faith in verse 5. That's how we are forgiven. That's how we get to heaven. That's how we're to live our lives day by day. And then it kind of summarizes it a little bit here in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision. It says it doesn't make any difference one way or the other. But what does amount to something but faith which works by love. That's what counts. That's what's important. Now, what about circumcision? Well, if you go over to the book of Philippians, here's what it says in chapter 3, verse 3. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh meaning things like circumcision and keeping the law. So circumcision pictures our new relationship with Jesus. It pictures <clears throat> being right with God, turning away from sin, and now living by faith. So there's a beautiful symbolism there, <clears throat> a cutting away of the sins of the flesh, a living in the spirit, for the Lord. Now, by the way, there's another verse here in chapter 6, which is a twin to this sixth verse in chapter 5. Chapter 6, 15 starts about the same way. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Chapter 5, it says, but, as it were, faith that works by love. Here in chapter 6, it's but a new creature. In other words, a changed person. That's what really counts. That's what happens when we have the true faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Now back to chapter 5, verse 6. Faith which works by love. What is faith? It's trust. 
It needs to be a living kind of trust. James, in the book of James, deals with this issue. Apparently there were people who said they believed in Jesus, but their lives didn't reflect that truth. He said their faith is dead. In fact, he said it three times. But especially you might see it in James 2, verse 20. And of course, we need more than a dead faith, don't we, to please God. We need a living faith. Well, that's what he's talking about here. Back in 5, verse 6, faith which works by love. It's a working faith. It's not a dead faith. And what's the motivation of this faith? The motivation is love. True love to other people. Vital love to God. Faith that works by love. A faith that's active and makes changes. Produces results in our lives. Faith that works by love. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, it says, let everything you do be done out of love. That's worth thinking about, isn't it? As we come to church, as we meet together, we're to love each other. We're to be here in God's love and loving the family of God. And again, I would urge you to be here these next Six messages that I'll be able to give and share with you, Lord willing. Hope you'll pray that God will bless that and you might bring other people that they might come and hear these final messages from God's word. Now let's go on. Chapter 5, Galatians, with verses 7, 8, and 9. <clears throat> you did run well. See, they had a good start. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? See, they were falling back, some of them, in the things that he warns against here. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. <laughs> a little wrong idea has a way of spreading a way of growing, and so he wants to nip it in the bud. In James chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about a little fire can produce a huge fire. Now, we've seen that happen, haven't we? <laughs> Unfortunately, many times in our state and in our country. Right now, we have a huge fire going on in the north of our state begins with just a little bit, but it becomes a huge thing. And so here's a thought that if something is wrong and it starts to grow in a church, it can really take over. So the important thing is to be right and go by the word of God and go by the truth that he reveals to us. Verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But you're going to agree with me with this. But he who troubles you, he who bothers you, shall bear his judgment, whoever 
he is. It almost sounds like there's one particular ringleader insisting that people be circumcised and keep the law. Later on, it talks about they in verse 12. At any rate, there was that movement within the fellowship that was trying to pull them away from simple faith in Jesus. And Paul is combating that. <clears throat> yes, the book of Galatians is combating that. We're saved by faith and faith only. <laughs> God gets all the credit. Verse 11, and I, brothers, if I yet preach circumcision, which he didn't, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. That's quite a statement, offense of the cross. How is the cross offensive to some people? We live in Placerville, as you know. There's a nickname for Placerville called Hangtown. And there's a movement to not continue that, and there's a movement to keep that. <laughs> but you see, if a person wanted to keep that moniker, they could have, a, instead of a cross on their neck, they could have a hangman's noose. Or some places they execute through the electric chair. You could have a little, instead of a cross or a hangman's noose, you could have an electric chair. Well, I don't think you'd want to go around with an electric chair <laughs> on your chest. That would be offensive. You wouldn't want to do it. Other people would take offense, and of course many people do take offense with the hangman's noose and the electric chair and any other form of execution. In Romans 13, I believe it's a part of governmental authority to punish the evildoers and to reward the good. I think that does include execution, but one should be certain that it's actually true and not a thing of false witness or anything that really leaves loopholes and you really don't know for 100% sure that the person did that. And in the Old Testament where it talks about this, it does say that it must be two or three witnesses. So that was an attempt to make sure that it was not falsely applied. At any rate, the offense of the cross. We see the cross hanging around people's necks and we don't take offense. We think that's a, a beautiful thing. And in a way, it is. Uh, you're saying you're a Christian and, and you're highlighting what Jesus did on the cross for us and the cross is empty, so it points to the resurrection. And what a beautiful thought that is. But to the world, it's an offense. It's an instrument of execution. It's a horrible death for criminals. But to us who are saved, and we'll be having communion pretty soon, it's a totally different thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, something that shows God's outpoured love toward us. He did this out of love. He did it for all the world, so whoever will accept him may be saved and emancipated, freed. 
Verse 12, I would that they were even cut off who bother you. Now, that's quite a strong statement. That's one of the strongest statements in the New Testament, I think, about judgment upon those who would change the gospel and the good news. And so he writes the book of Galatians. He writes that strong statement. And people better not meddle with God's truth. Then it goes on, verses 13 and 14. Because, brothers, that means women too, sisters, you have been called to liberty. Again, he's highlighting the emancipation, the liberty, a liberty from the law, a liberty from circumcision, a liberty to live for Christ, a liberty to be a light in the world for the Lord Jesus, a liberty from Satan, a liberty hopefully even from our own selfishness, a liberty motivated as we've seen by love. We've been called to that, a freedom. But then there's a warning here in verse 13. Only do not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Okay, you're freed, but don't use that as an excuse to do stuff that are, is wrong. <laughs> no, it's a freedom to live for God. It's a freedom to know we're saved and that we can be a light for him. Don't misuse this idea of freedom. Use it in a positive way. And what's that? By love, serve one another. That's what it says. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That'd be a good title for the message too, wouldn't it? By love, serve one another. We have a special calling to help each other as Christians. We belong into the family of the Lord and we should care for one another, pray for one another, help one another. By love, serve one another. And again, we saw from 1 Corinthians 16, 14 that love is to be the motivating factor in living out the Christian life, living out the new creature in Christ, 615. And then back to verse 14, chapter five. Because all the law is fulfilled in one word, in this, okay, it's all summarized in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Back in Romans 13, verse 10, says the same thing. That's what the law really boils down to, loving one another and, of course, loving God. We do love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We watch over ourselves. But it says we're to love others that way, the way that we love ourselves we are to love other people also. And then quite a warning in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you be not consumed by one another. <laughs> so he warns them against infighting among God's people. It can be very destructive 
when a church has the infighting. And so that's something that must be scrupulously avoided. It doesn't necessarily mean all the time we're going to agree 100%, but it does mean we're going to deal with these things out of love. And you know, sometimes it's possible we could be wrong. <laughs> I've not always been right. Have you always been right in everything? Probably not. <laughs> so how important then it is to get along together, to love one another, to forgive one another, to work together in doing God's work as he calls us. So wouldn't you say these are some great truths from God's word? I believe they're wonderful. God has given them to us. It's up to us to receive them and to put them into our lives through trusting Jesus and surrendering to him.